0: welcome everyone this is dr mercola helping you take control of your health and today we are joined by barbara Lowe fisher and she's here for the vaccine awareness week and is going to give us an update about vaccines and this year we're coinciding the vaccine awareness week with the ridiculous uh push for flu vaccines to just make sure that you're aware of this because you're going to be inundated in virtually every public place you go, to your grocery store, your pharmacy, hopefully you're not going to the pharmacy, but a pharmacy airport, if you're flying, you're gonna say, "Get, did you get your flu vaccine? So we're gonna go in deep into that now, but uh, we're going to also get an update on what's happened in the last year. So welcome and thank you for joining us. Uh, well,
1: before. thank you so much. Yeah, you're right, Uh, we are absolutely inundated in the flu season, at the beginning of the flu season with advertisements for flu vaccine. And I think what a lot of people don't stop to think about in the midst of all this advertising is that vaccinologists, vaccinologists develop vaccines uh, and vaccinology is called the science of vaccines. So vaccinologists do not understand how vaccines cause immunity in the body. They don't understand how an infection causes immunity in the body. So they've always had a problem with making vaccines that are effective and also that are safe because they don't understand the biological mechanisms for vaccine injury and death. And this is especially true for influenza vaccine because influenza virus mutates rapidly. It's constantly changing. So there are different strains that are circulating every year. They have to guess which strains are going to be prevalent in any given year, and the vaccine manufacturers then are in a race to develop these annual seasonal flu vaccines. Uh, but what before we even talk about uh, influenza vaccines, what a lot of people don't know is that the majority of respiratory illness out there every year. Is not due to type A or type B influenza. It's due to other types of respiratory uh, viruses and, and bacterial infections that cause respiratory uh, right. influenza. Well, well, the most common
0: one being the common cold, which is why it's called the common cold. Uh, you know, it's these viral infections primarily, but not the flu virus.
1: Right. Over eighty percent of the suspected influenza specimens that are are sent in for lab confirmation turn out to be due to other viruses and bacteria, not type A or B influenza. And that's really important because a lot of people think that when they get sick during the flu season that they've got influenza. Most of the time they don't. Mm -hmm. So what does that say for using influenza vaccine? If the most of the illness is not due to influenza and you only are selecting uh, three or four strains of influenza to put in the influenza vaccine. That's putting it kind of into perspective.
0: Well, how many strains are there? Are there oh,
1: there's, there's, there's many strains, and the virus is constantly uh, mutating. So it's it's very difficult for them to make a vaccine that is going to be effective. And in fact, in the last 14 flu seasons, the CDC has produced evidence that shows that less than 50% of the time is the flu vaccine effective against the viruses that were in that strains in the vaccine. Last year, 2017, it was 36% effective.
0: Is the effectiveness determined by clinical symptoms or the demonstration of antibodies, which goes back to somewhat an earlier point I wanted to make when you said they don't know how it works. They certainly have some theories of how it works and misinformed theories, primarily for the, the production of these antibodies produced by the humoral immune system. You know, the bee- right, yeah.
1: that's that's called immunogenicity, and that yeah. that's when they do take the blood and look at it and see. Mm-hmm. Is that how, how they're, they're
0: the, de- determining effectiveness?
1: No, there there's three things. There's efficacy, and that's in controlled clinical trials where they mm-hmm. compare two groups together and they find out what the percentage difference in influenza uh, that occurs in each group. Then you have effectiveness, and that is when they give it in the real world situation because they, those clinical trials are mm-hmm. often whitewashed. The, the people who participate in clinical trials rarely, really reflect the real-world situation. So effectiveness is when they go and they look at the flu season and find out how many vaccinated people actually got influenza.
0: Be- and then, the, traditionally, that with a vaccine, it's measured in the response of antibodies, because most of the diseases they're trying to immunize and protect you against you're hopefully not getting it ever at all. So really the only way they can assess this by production of these, these antibodies.
1: That's right. They measure, immunogenicity is measured by how, what's the antibody titer. But mm-hmm. as, you, as you have pointed out, and we've talked about a number of times, immunity is not just about antibody titers. It's also mm-hmm. about cell mediated immunity. And right. that's not really oh, taken into account. Right.
0: Yeah, and that's the whole, one of the whole major problems with vaccines is that they disrupt that balance between the T cells and the B cells, which uh, some researchers and clinicians believe erratically increases your risk of cancer because of that imbalance.
1: Right, there's, you know, I think the bottom line here is going way back to smallpox vaccine. Mm -hmm. they, They haven't really stopped to do the science. The science is still in its infancy. If you really look, take a step back and look at it, So it's like they're guessing when they make these vaccines because they don't have correlates to immunity. They do not understand how the vaccines uh, act in the body at the cellular molecular level. Now, some of this is science is starting to be done, but these vaccines are being used by millions of people around the world without basic science knowledge. And I think that people just think that they have been thoroughly tested. They have not been thoroughly tested from the very basic science knowledge, these gaps in information that these vaccinologists have, they're simply producing more and more vaccines without really understanding what they're doing is my, has been my take after 36 years of looking at the issue.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's one big component of it. And then the I interrupted you earlier about the uh, the flu vaccine. So why don't you take up, finish where well, you, or so, take up so, where you finish.
1: So what we have is we have influenza vaccines that are, as of last year, 36% effective or, or, or likely less. Um, and you, have a, you can have influenza and not show symptoms. You can be vaccinated or unvaccinated and have asymptomatic influenza and still transmit, still shed the virus and transmit. So what does that say for really getting a handle on how effective the vaccine is, or indeed how serious influenza is. We have what 320 million people in this country. The CDC still does not know how many people die from influenza every year. They know pediatric uh, as flu associated deaths because those are reportable. States have to report pediatric deaths. That's kids, people under the age of 18 that die from influenza. It, it it's averaged about 130 per year for the last 5 or 6 years pd uh deaths under age 18 but when they go to estimate deaths mortality from influenza they have to guess again and what they do is they take pneumonia and influenza and circulatory and respiratory mortality uh statistics and then they do some fancy footwork and they come up with an estimate of 12,000 to 54,000 influenza-associated deaths every year. It's a yeah, big change
0: because for, for many years, every year it was 30,000 deaths. 30,000 deaths every year for like 10 years in a row. So they must that must have changed it, which is makes more sense because it you know the the fraud just just speaks out very loudly when you look at that because it's clear they're not doing a de- detailed analysis.
1: Yes, um, it's. I don't see how they can actually be accurate when they don't have reports for people over age 18, when a lot of these respiratory illnesses are caused by other viruses and bacteria. So there's a lot of assumptions.
0: And that's the foundation of the fear tactics that's used to market and sell these vaccines is that 30,000 people are going to die this year from the flu vaccine. Do you want to be one of them? You know, that's what motivates the the well intentioned pharmacists and nurses, you know, to encourage people to make sure they get their flu vaccines. It's
1: right. just and sick,
0: it's just sickening.
1: And, and I know that when you were in medical school up to the year two thousand, this this vaccine influenza vaccine was was for people over sixty five who or had a heart.
0: professionals or anyone with lung related diseases, like uh, had a lung removed right. or had tuberculosis or something. So it was a very small market indeed it was probably well less than five percent maybe even less than one percent of the population it was small that's
1: that's right and in around 2000 2002 they started to lower the age i remember i was sitting on an, the fda advisory committee where they decided to lower it to the age of 50. everybody 50 and over not 65 and over should get a flu shot every year then within eight years eight years they lowered it down to every single American in this country over the age of six months through the year of death should get an annual flu shot with absolutely no scientific basis for that other than what you said, fear.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that was their marketing strategy, for sure. (laughs) No question. It's a very effective one because it, it... It really addresses the limbic system, which is our most powerful motivation in our brain. So when you can address those primal uh, responses, you're going to generate, uh, you know, the behavior that you want to in case fear is a powerful motivator. So they're using it effectively, but unfortunately, it's incorrect.
1: Well, and you have in 2017, uh, a, a nearly $4 billion a year influenza vaccine market globally, predicted to to reach over $11 billion by the year 2025. Certainly, if every single person in this country gets a flu shot every year, this is an unimaginable profit-making business for vaccine manufacturers that get into the flu vaccine business. And there are risks associated with influenza vaccine. It is the most compensated uh, vaccine in the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program.
0: Oh, I, didn't know that. I did not know that.
1: Yes, uh, uh, twenty-five about 2,500 awards. Uh, that's a third of the award, total awards. Wow. Uh, it, it now has surpassed pertussis-containing vaccines, which was the leading vaccine, and now influenza vaccine Do is number one. Do you think that's
0: related to the number of vaccines that are given? Because it would seem that... There's a larger number than the than the other vaccines because it's for every everyone's a candidate every year.
1: Well, certainly, certainly you're going to see that number uh, go up. We have over 152,000 reports in the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System uh, that have are, are associated with influenza vaccine, uh, several thousand deaths and you know, that's only 1% of what actually happens. The government admits about only 1% of all vaccine adverse events are reported to the government. So this these numbers are quite high.
0: So people are actually dying from the flu vaccine.
1: There have been deaths from influenza vaccine. The most common serious event is brain inflammation, uh, Guillaume barre syndrome, I know in the pandemic influenza year 2009, it was associated with narcolepsy, uh, which is a very rare uh, form of of brain dysfunction. Uh, But certainly uh, Bell's palsy, uh, demyelination, uh, there's a lot of reactions associated with influenza vaccine. And because they haven't done the scientific studies to find out who is at high risk, what the, what the f- family medical histories and personal medical histories that put you at greater risk, people are being vaccinated in a vacuum of scientific knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm. Now let's address some of the pernicious items that are in there other than the actual vaccine proteins that supposedly uh, stimulates this antibody response and pro- uh, proposed protection. So well I, I'm it's, I just am not current because uh, I know there's several methods of administration there's injection and I believe there's an inhale form too
1: well mercury uh, is in this is not in single dose vials okay. but there are only a, and a
0: and mul- percentage of those are administered by physicians is it mostly dose? Multi-dose, multi-dose
1: yes those multidose vials are more common there's about I think three to four million Single dose vials of an in- inactivated injectable uh, influenza vaccine that is usually the trivalent. Uh, so you have to look at the package insert when you go. If you don't want a mercury containing vaccine, you need to look at the insert, yeah, obviously, the for the ingredients. The
0: single use, if he's going to throw it away after one. Shot you know, open it up, see him open up and walk, thro- watch him throw it back in the package. And the mercury's there because it's a preservative. So have him bring you the box, open the box up and take the insert out of the box that he just opened, not this one that he got from another box. Right. And read the, read the label on the bottle. It'll say single single use only there or how much you know how many injections are in there. And a the multi-use, usually it's what, five or 10? 10, 10 injections?
1: Uh, yeah, 10, I think, usually. Uh, and also there's a live virus vaccine that is sprayed up the nose that was discontinued by the CDC did not recommend it in 2016, 17 because it was so ineffective. Well, guess what? They've now reapproved it and said, okay, you can now use it this year.
0: Yeah. Cause we but, know we weren't meeting our marketing projections.
1: Yeah.
0: So we, we've got to increase the, uh, acceptability to the public by, by offering them a non-effective nasal version.
1: They are working on a uni- universal flu vaccine that is supposed to cover all possible mutations of the virus. In other words, they're trying to make a, a vaccine that they think is going to outsmart the influenza virus. You know, if you look at nature, I'll put my bet on nature every time.
0: Yeah, Me too. So, so why don't we um, utilize what nature has provided us? to use instead of an ineffective, historically ineffective strategy that has been associated with large number of complications and uh, even deaths and permanent neurological complications. Why risk it when it doesn't even work when you have far more effective strategies that virtually don't cost you anything? And the two biggest ones from my perspective, or maybe three, would be optimize your vitamin D levels. I don't ever think that there's a magic dose. Now, there are doses if you're going to take oral. And, and as we're uh, airing this video, it's it's likely the f- late fall or even early winter, depending on when you're watching it. And there's not going to be a lot of sun exposure for most of you unless you live in the subtropics or tropics or in the so- south uh, southern hemisphere. Uh, so you, you know, to get it from the sun, which is the ideal source is going to be somewhat of a challenge. So you're going to have to resort to oral, which is absolutely not my favorite. And I have not taken oral vitamin D in over 10 years. And I think I just had my last vitamin D report. I saw a few days ago was 78 with no oral vitamin D nanograms per milliliters, which is multiplied by 2.5 for our European visitors, which is nanomoles per liter. Uh, so what I know where that comes out to is well over 150. Um, have it closer to 200. But anyway, vitamin D, optimize it. You have to confirm it by a blood test. No other way to do it. It's just like your blood pressure, like your blood sugar. You have to objectively measure that. Um, So, and then the other thing is stop eating sugar and processed foods. You know, that's, that's a good, that's a huge component, which will, because sugar will impair your immune system, especially processed processed foods, which are high in omega-6 and fats. And then the timing of the food is key. So, you know, don't eat before you go to bed. Your body was, when you have give yourself fuel, when you're don't, not designed to receive it, there's a, a horrible metabolic complications. And one of them is an impairment of your immune system. Exercise. And you don't go crazy with it, but you got to move. Your body's designed to move. That'll help enormously, especially when you're confined indoors in the winter, typically. And then uh, sleep, sleep, You've got to sleep. And you know, I know the health some of the healthiest people I know when they travel and for whatever reason they're stressed out or something and they just aren't able to sleep well for a few days, that's when they get sick. That's when they get sick. So you can do everything perfectly, but if you if you don't pay attention to your sleep, it's one of the most profoundly important variables for your health is making sure you honor your requirement for sleep and, and your circadian rhythm to optimize your sleep. Ideally a little bit difficult in the winter but you know, go to sleep close to when the sun goes down and get up when the sun comes up. So that's what, you know, if you do it and you're shifted and you, know, I just, I just interviewed Dr. Sachin Panda. And I was not aware of this. There's like 25% of the population are shift workers. 25, one in four people. And a shift worker was assigned to, to find as someone who works it uh, for three hours a week for or no, three hours a day from is awake from from for three hours from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. for 50 days of the year. So 25 percent of the public is doing that. That's crazy. So you know, do whatever it takes to not be a shift worker. And that's a lot of you people watching out there. So, because that will mess your immune system. So I'm sorry for a tangent, but it's so important to get the foundational basics and you don't have to rely on these deceptive, fraudulent interventions that are really just designed to make the pharmaceutical companies billions of dollars. In this case, tens of billions of dollars, not yet, but trending towards tens of billions.
1: That's right. And, you know, there's another vaccine that I want to talk about today and that's pertussis vaccine, whooping cough vaccine. It is in the same category of failure as influenza vaccine. Both the whole cell pertussis DPT vaccine that we used in this country up until the late 1990s and the acellular vaccine that we've been using since the 1990s are failed vaccines. The US, the people may have seen recent publicity about that scientists have now discovered that A-cellular pertussis vaccine is not as effective as whole cell vaccine. It's very deceptive because the whole cell pertussis vaccine was known to be ineffective back in the, at least 30, 40 years ago. And the the, the B-pertussis bacteria started mutating after widespread use of whole cell DPT vaccine in the late 1940s, that's when the B pertussis by, uh, uh, bacteria started to mutate. It accelerated with a cellular vaccine because of the components they had in that vaccine, which was two thirds as re- less reactive than the whole cell vaccine. Whole cell DPT vaccine was the reason that Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act because it was causing so many cases of brain inflammation that there were lawsuits all over the place. It was on the back of wholesale DPT vaccine, which has hurt so many children and is still being used in countries around this world. Now there are calls by Paul Offit and others to bring back the wholesale pertussis vaccine into this country for infants, at least one or two doses, because they want to say that they should never have made the switch from wholesale to a vaccine. And I think this is is absolutely unconscionable that they would even be discussing bringing that wholesale vaccine back in this country when that was the vaccine that caused so many problems and was the reason that Congress gave that liability protection. So I, I am I am finishing a book. I'm finishing a book on this subject, on the promise, the uh, the promise and reality of the vaccine, of uh, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986, and I'll be discussing whole cell pertussis vaccine and pertussis and and the failed; those are both failed vaccines.
0: Yeah, and the whole cell pertussis vaccine is what catalyzed the formation of National Vaccine Information Center and really your introduction into this and pioneering work for the last three decades because your son was injured and fortunately he's doing well now who was injured from the whole cell pertussis.
1: Yes, uh, that vaccine is is extremely old and crude. It was developed in the early part of the 20th century whole cell pertussis vaccine. It's still used in countries around the world and it's very reactive, but they're saying because it looks as if it's, uh, it gives longer lasting protection even though it does not block infection and transmission, it appears to block, it appears to clear, the person is cl- clears the infection more rapidly, it still is a failed vaccine, both on safety as well as on effectiveness. So what with all of this money that's, that's being spent to complain about the switch from, from wholesale to a should be spent on trying to figure out what are the correlates for immunity? Because they still don't understand how pertussis infection causes immunity in the body, and they don't understand how what the biological mechanisms of injury and death. This is absence of scientific knowledge, but still they're bringing these vaccines out and saying that everybody by law has to take them. We're seeing, for the third year in a row, we have been able, at least as of uh, the end of uh, July of 2018, we have not lost one exemption, one vaccine exemption in any state because people have gotten active and they have told their legislators they want these personal belief exemptions. However, in 2019, we're predicting there's going to be an onslaught after these elections, there's going to be an onslaught in every single state, especially Texas and other states, to take away vaccine exemptions.
0: Yes, indeed. And um, that's tragic. And I certainly will get behind informing people about that and, and the efforts they can take through your vaccine portal. Uh, but with respect to addressing the parents' fear, legitimate fear and concern that they're going to have a neurologically damaged child unless they vaccinate. Uh, and they want to be responsible. They want to do the right thing. But uh, so what can they do? It, get back, it gets back to the same issues. And and we have some exciting new evidence. I just awarded Carol Baggerly, our Game Changer of the Year Award, for the pioneering work she's done in vitamin D. And you may not be aware of it, but uh, she's we're in the process of getting FDA approval for vitamin D during pregnancy to prevent prenatal complications. But some an artifact from this research was, this is just shocking. I did not know that this was occurring, but it makes sense that the women who had adequate levels of vitamin D defined as at least 40 nanograms per milliliter during their pregnancy essentially provided immunity against type one, type one, not type two, type one diabetes in their children, which is extraordinary. And I'm going to ask Carol if she can go and tease the data out, maybe you have to send out additional questionnaires to include these incidences of these infectious diseases and in those who were vaccinated, those who weren't. My guess is that the vi- those were vitamin D uh, sufficient, are going to have radically redu- improved immune system and radically reduced uh, incidence of these infections. It's a simple thing. And a vitamin, even if they were to not get it through sunlight, which is going to be the majority, the cost of vitamin D is a few dollars a month. I mean, it's virtually free. So, And there's no side effects, essentially. There's, it's, it's a risk-free, inexpensive strategy that can radically uh, address the legitimate and valid concerns that parents of newborns have to have their child be uh, free from these deadly infections.
1: No, there's no question. Pertussis can be deadly for, for little infants where they have very tiny airways and that sticky mucus clogs the airways and they can't breathe. There's no question. There's about six to 13 deaths from pertussis in this country every year. And some of those are pediatric deaths. Uh, but the, the, the pertussis vaccine, TDAP vaccine, and the influenza vaccine are both given to pregnant women. They're both given to pregnant women. 40 to 50% of pregnant women are getting influenza vaccines and pertussis-containing vaccines during their pregnancies now. And as you know, we have the worst infant and mortality death rate of all developed countries. We give our children more vaccines in the first year of life than any other uh, developed country. So there is an outstanding question about the use of these vaccines during pregnancy, particularly when they have such a poor effectiveness profile. So... Again, when you vac- vaccinate in a vacuum of scientific knowledge, particularly when you vaccinate pregnant women, when you vaccinate little infants and you don't understand how that vaccine acts at the cellular molecular level, you are asking for trouble down the line. And I think the chickens are coming home to roost. And I think that the, that the vaccinologists don't know what to do about it. And so what do they say? Just get more vaccine. Let's just get more vaccine. Or in the case of pertussis, oh, let's go back to that crude, reactive, whole cell vaccine because we think it gives better protection. The other thing I want to point out about pertussis that a lot of people don't know is that per, about with pertussis does not give you lifelong protection. They estimate that every person may get two to three pertussis infections in their life. And, and some of these are asymptomatic. You can be have pertussis, just like influenza, be asymptomatic, and and still uh, transmit infection. Again, we don't understand how infections work in the body and how they protect us. And so to to just say that everybody's got to get vaccinated, and they've all got to do it the same way, and they've all got to use the same vaccine that hasn't been proven to be safe or effective is simply not scientific.
0: Yeah. It's just so sad when the technology exists, you can easily prick your finger, get a drop or two of blood out, put it on a a few drops of blood actually, and put it on a cardboard piece of cardboard blotter and send it in the mail and get your vitamin D level tested. So you don't have to go to, to a blood drawing lab. It's easy to do. It's relatively inexpensive, and for literally a fraction of a fraction of the investments that's being made in these vaccines It's enriching the pharmaceutical companies at the, at the expense of the health and longevity of our population, you, you could really have a solid solution. I mean, the, the technology exists. We already have a strategy, and, and it's just being ignored, which is really a sad commentary on the um, you know, 21st century healthcare system.
1: Because they're not studying... System they're not studying health and you have talked about this for so long. We don't really understand and have a good handle on what is health. And so the solution is always the pharmaceutical one, not really understanding that something is like getting exposure to sun for 15 minutes a day and having good vitamin D levels can do so much.
0: Yeah. 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 It's the curriculum in most medical schools, obviously it's designed to teach basic science, but ultimately it's oriented to finding a specific drug solution for the disease. You know, Diseases are really almost defined as drug deficiency syndromes, um, which is so sad because it doesn't have to be that way. And everyone could, could benefit, including the physicians and their families themselves, because most physicians are well-intentioned and they are not treating themselves or their families any different from what they're doing with their patients. So they fully believe in the system. They've been hoodwinked just like pretty much most of the population.
1: And it's all based, it comes full circle. It's all based on fear. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the rhetoric in the medical literature on vaccines, vaccinology and vaccinologists, it's very fear-based and it's very aggressive. It sees these microbes as enemies to be killed, to be suppressed, to be eradicated. When these viruses and bacteria have been here, with us all along. And we are colonized (laughs) with viruses and bacteria. You know this more than I do, better than I do. And and we just don't have a handle on really what is health. Why don't you address
0: Uh, the, not the cost benefit analysis, but the risk benefit analysis with respect to, I mean, there are, as you mentioned, people who children who die from diseases like pertussis, and that any death is tragic. But what the conventional health system fails miserably on steroids to address and acknowledge is that the intervention, the vaccine intervention program does not c- come free. Certainly there's a cost for the vaccine, but it comes at a cost of health and disease. So so we have six deaths we might be preventing. I know this is true with breast, breast cancer too. I mean, the whole system in supposedly preventive therapy of trying to, you know, find these breast cancers is actually causing more cancers than it's saving. So how many kids are dying or permanently injured as a result of saving those six people or six kids who are dying from pertussis and any other infectious diseases that you want to comment on?
1: You know, with regard to pertussis, we don't know. I remember when I was researching for a shot in the dark in the early 1980s and Dr. Coulter and I tried to get a handle. We had a benefit risk chapter actually. And when we did the analysis using the methods that the scientists do, we came out we came to the conclusion with whole cell pertussis vaccine that it was you actually had more cases of brain injury and death with the vaccine, the whole cell pertussis vaccine. Than you did if you did if you had pertussis be endemic in the society. Now I have we I haven't done it for a of vaccine because it is two thirds less reactive. But but the point is that when you don't have the science to define and develop develop pathological profiles to separate out what is vaccine induced and is what, what is not. When you don't understand who is vulnerable to having brain inflammation and immune system dysfunction after vaccination after pertussis vaccination, you are really going forward in a vacuum of knowledge, especially when it's shown that the vaccines aren't effective at blocking infection and transmission. We've gone from one dose or two doses of smallpox vaccine in the early 20th century, to 69 doses of 16 vaccines given between the day of birth and age 18. We have more chronically ill and disabled children in this country than we have ever had. I'm not saying it's all due to vaccines, but what's what manipulates atypically it manipulates the immune system more frequently than any other medical intervention? Vaccination. Now, granted, we've got processed foods, we've got pesticide exposures, we've got toxic exposures that are in addition to these vaccines, but vaccines atypically typically immune system and they don't understand everything that the vaccines do. They do, they have not tested the ingredients separately yeah. and they do not test them well enough in combinations. Some children are getting nine, 10 vaccines on one day. How yeah. does the body sort all that out?
0: Yeah. It's crazy. Tom Cowan has just written a new book. Uh, he's a physician. I think you know who he is out of Western price foundation and, uh, Family physician out in the Pacific Northwest, and it was his contention that this imbalance between the cell mediated and, and humor immune system actually radically increases your risk for not only cancer but uh, autoimmune diseases. And you know th- there are more people with autoimmune disease than dying from cancer and heart disease. Polio is another—I mean, not as much as smallpox, but certainly is is probably the second classic yes. uh, vaccine example used to justify yes. their convention. But it was, it was used, it was a result of the exposure to the pesticides. And it, it's some pretty clear, powerful documentation to support that, that hypothesis.
1: Absolutely. Uh, again, it's a combination of exposures. You've got GMO foods, processed foods. You've got pesticides. You've got environmental pollution. You have the fact that we're not getting enough vitamin D from natural sunshine anymore. Uh, you have these vaccines that on day one, The first immunological experience outside the womb is is a vaccine, hepatitis B vaccine. And then the kids kept going in and getting their immune systems are constantly being manipulated atypically. And not only autoimmunity, but allergy. Allergy is skyrocketing. And, you know, how can they possibly continue to make new vaccines when they don't understand basic science about how but they
0: do policies. know ba- basic uh financial strategies and marketing <laughs> so they get if that's that.
1: true
0: yeah that's why they're, that's that's the motivation folks it's not for improving the public health it's for improving the bottom line of most of these corporations uh at the highest level and i'm you know I don't make that claim on the the vast majority of the clinicians uh, and people I was one of them who were dispensing these because they don't know. they they truly believe they're doing a public health service. But at the highest levels, they know this is not true.
1: I think uh, you know, this is a global business now. The World Health Organization and the multinational pharmaceutical corporations, really, it's a global market, uh, and the u s. is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, markets for vaccines. Uh, I see only more and more vaccines coming on the market. Uh, certainly, The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act gave the companies partial liability protection in 86. In 2011, the Supreme Court gave them total immunity. We now have the 21st Century Cures Act of 2016. It gave the manufacturers of vaccines for pregnant women liability protection, including when the children are damaged, the uh, the developing infant is, is damaged in the womb and is born alive. Uh, and damaged, uh, they now have liability protection. The bioterrorism vaccines have liability protection under BioShield legislation after 911. These companies are absolutely have no reason to improve the safety or effectiveness of vaccines because they have no economic incentive to do so. And unfortunately, the government um, has no incentive to give awards, the kind of awards they should be giving, because only one out of three people who apply to the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program are given an award and um, the rest are left to fend for themselves.
0: Yeah, we look forward to your book on that. That should be fascinating because uh, it's a whole process that most of us are unfamiliar with. And my understanding from previous discussions is that the vast majority of people who apply for it are discouraged because of the uh, enormous paperwork burden and, and challenges they have to go just to get to the point of applying. So, even that one in three statistics uh, only being successful sounds bad, but it's much yeah. far worse than that, as I'm sure you're going to detail in your book. Well, it
1: is. And, and most people don't even know that the program exists. And I, I just finally thought to myself, this history needs to be told because there's a lot of misconceptions about it. And I'm releasing documents that had never been put online before. They're going to be free and available. This book is going to be free and available to people uh, through mbic.org. Uh, and I, uh, you've partly made that possible, uh, Dr. Marcola, with your, your incredible support wow. of the National Vaccine Information Center.
0: Yeah, and everyone watching, too, because it's not just me. You know, we, we, We're happy to match everyone's donation and provide the support you need to do what you do because you're really one of the leading voices out there, the rational voices. Not skeptical, not saying you don't should never get vaccinated, but you know, and that's the position. It disturbs me to be labeled as an anti vaxxer. So, even though I wouldn't personally vaccinate myself or my family, it's that's not my position. My position is you need to evaluate the circumstances for yourself and, and really focus on safety and then make your decision yourself. And then, based on that, you know, choose the best option because ultimately you are responsible for the health of your, yourself and your family, and especially your children. So, but it has to be a responsible decision. You just can't blindly trust uh, these, this industrial complex that is highly motivated and incentivized with essentially no risk at all to provide a product that is, is, is questionable at best.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. The informed consent principle, you have the right as a consumer to have full information about the benefits and risks of any pharmaceutical product and be able to make a free and voluntary decision is a principle that has been defined as a human right uh, with regard to medical interventions that can cause injury or death. And vaccination is one of those interventions. And uh, it's a, the informed consent principle is worth standing up for. And I'm I'm proud to be associated with Mercola.com because you have stood firm on that concept.
0: Yeah. So you've got to know what you're getting into. You can't blindly trust things and you, you know, you should be uh, you know, the whole system should acknowledge the rights of individuals and their ability to make a choice for themselves. But of course that's balanced with this, the greater good philosophy, which we've, we've spoken about extensively in the past. And that's the justification for this because if this, flawed herd immunity concepts, which just doesn't hold any water when you carefully examine it. Uh, that's how they're able to justify this and really trash the informed consent and the ability uh, or the, the opportunity for the individual to ex- exercise their freedom of choice rights.
1: Yes, but isn't it interesting how the, the science is now showing that these vaccines are ineffective that influenza vaccine is ineffective, that pertussis vaccines are ineffective. What does that say about herd immunity? They don't understand. <laughs> <It's a joke. laughs> yeah. Right, especially when you have asymptomatic infection. And uh, you can, I mean, I think that nature is amazing. Our immune systems are amazing because after all, what is health? It means that you maintain health. Even if you get an infection, you move through it without mm-hmm. complications or you don't even have any symptoms. They're not taking into account this aspect of health. They're saying there shall be no infections ever. We have to eradicate. That is just not a very scientifically sound concept. And that's what amazes me. They say parents don't understand the science. I say they have a real problem in looking beyond their ideology and looking at the science and doing the kind of science that the people can have faith in. This is a crisis of faith in their science and they're responsible for that. Not the people who have lost faith in it.
0: Yeah. I kind of view infections somewhat like exercise. Yes. Infections can kill you and they do kill people every day. And you know, that's a sad tragedy, but if you have a healthy immune system, you know, that's going to exercise your immune system even more and it becomes stronger. Just like you can over-exercise, you could try to lift a car up and it fall on and crush you. Well, that's an example of a pretty really bad infection. You would shouldn't ideally you shouldn't do that. You know, small doses where essentially, even if you're asymptomatic and you don't even know you're infected, it's building your immune system. But even when you're a young child, there's so many parents who are Frightened to death when their child has a fever of like 102 or 103 think they're going to die from brain death when it actually may be one of the most powerful innate immune strategies your system has to build a healthy immune response you know this febrile response when you're a youngster just builds this healthy immune system makes that makes you resistant against autoimmune diseases and and provides protection for a whole wide variety of infectious diseases that you never get sick with because of that that uh Reaction.
1: That's right. Your body, I mean, the body is doing a lot of things that you don't see symptomatically. And and certainly when you have a symptom like a fever, that helps the body respond and helps the body eventually heal. And to suppress it with Tylenol and these these NSAIDs is is really not doing the child a favor. Now, obviously, if you have 1045 degree sustained fever, that's not that's not good.
0: Well, but there's, there's other strategies other than giving medications
1: right. Right. So. so. I, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, again, this comes back to what is health. They don't really understand it. And apparently they don't really want to understand it no. because guess what? It's not real lucrative if you can do a lot of natural things that don't cost a lot of money in order to maintain it.
0: Yeah, the only way they're able to continue this fraud is that, uh, you know, it's largely related to the financial component and that the government is, is you know, so far in debt uh, with this printing press. And as a result, you know, if, unless we hit a financial collapse and there really isn't the resources available to subsidize this fraud, then they can continue it. If, if those resources collapse, as is is a very well made in a financial collapse that many experts believe is inevitable, may not happen for a few generations, but it might happen next year. Who knows? But when you have that and the resources disappear, then the whole society is forced to integrate strategies that truly work at the foundational basics. Yes. Because that's the only thing that's going to be effective. And they're going to know, I mean, then they're going to flock to these strategies and they say, why weren't we doing this before? Well, it's because you could do them because it was artificially manipulated with uh, you know, a fraud, a fraud economy.
1: Right. I mean, if people would look at, in the 1980s, it cost less than a hundred dollars to fully, quote, fully vaccinated child. According to the CDC schedule, there were seven vaccines. Today it costs three thousand dollars to fully yeah. vaccinate a child. That's a lot of money uh, is, that, is
0: most of that covered by insurance or is that paid for by the parents themselves
1: I'll, I, as of I think the last five years under Obamacare, I think that most vaccines are covered by insurance
0: so that, but, that essentially is being paid for by the taxpayer, which is a you know it's a whole other issue and
1: Right. Because half the vaccines in this country are given are are given in public health clinics Mm -hmm. and those are subsidized. So, yeah. uh, And some of these vaccines are very expensive. HPV vaccine uh, for two doses. Well, three doses. It was like eight hundred dollars. I think they've gone down to a two dose recommendation, I think, largely because it was so expensive. And a lot of people were having reactions that didn't come back for subsequent doses. But uh, these vaccines are very expensive now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's the incentive, (laughs) the strategy, that's the model that didn't exist. You know, initially when they were started, it was really truly for public health protection. Uh, And uh, then it got manipulated as the the big uh, pharmaceutical industries got involved and, you know, saw this market opportunity that they've clearly capitalized on. So the good news is you don't have to fall into that trap. You can follow the recommendations that we provide as a useful strategic alternative, and that you can. There, there, the vast majority of people in the United States and worldwide have not heard this information. If they've heard it, they're they're just skeptical that it's that there's any validity to it, but. You know we're, we're seeking to provide resources to educate people so that they know the truth that they know there's other alternatives so that you can and you can continue in that effort to help us by providing a donation to the national vaccine information center which i will match at least a dollar or two or three dollars for every dollar is donated i don't know what the numbers are uh but we will do that we have done in the past and uh support nbic to spread the message and you know, it, they've been successful, as Barbara said earlier. There there has been not one successful attempt to remove the vaccine uh, exemption. The per, is it, it the philosophical?
1: 2015.
0: Yeah, philosophical exemption states that have okay. them. So, and, and there's going to be, as you mentioned earlier, also uh, after the elections this coming year, there's going to be a, a renewed assault on the removal of these. So they are going to be uh, up in front and helping coordinate local resistance against this removal, this essential removal of the, one of your uh, rights as a citizen. And uh, they've been effective in the past and they continue, but they can only continue as long as you're able to support them. And I, for all of you who have supported them in the past, I really am grateful to you for doing that. Uh, It's a noble thing, uh, and you've helped a lot of people as a result. But please continue because there's a. This is a big one. This is a war that most everyone watching will not see the end of the victory on this one because it's just there's just so much confusion and deception on this. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I think we will solve EMS before we figure out the vaccines, Uh, and that's a big one too.
1: It is going to go on for a long time, but you know, part of the problem is the censorship and trying to silence anybody who asks questions, trying to marginalize, shun people who even ask questions about this science that really has huge gaps in it this vaccine science. And so it's important for people to be brave and to talk about when they have a reaction to a vaccine, to get on social media and talk about it. That connects everybody in the whole world. And so I call it witnessing in the public square. And it's part of what we do at NVIC. It's part of what, what we also are able to do on Mercola.com, which is huge because of your huge audience, and I, I think that it's important for people to not be afraid to stand up and talk about this, no matter how much pressure they get, only through sunshine, through shining a light on the truth, will we ever be able to stay free.
0: Yeah, important message. So for those who... Supported us in uh, your organization in the past. Thank you so much. And we, again, encourage you to continue doing that this week in National Vaccine Awareness Week. So, And then be careful about those flu vaccines.
1: <laughs> Think <laughs> twice. and uh, Do a little more research before you make your final choice.